Good to be with you this morning and be present with you. We're continuing in the book of Daniel, so you can be opening up to Daniel chapter 4, and we are just singing about majesty. Now, majesty isn't a word that we use a whole lot, or maybe not most of us anyway, in our regular everyday kind of talkings, uh, but I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word majesty, what do you think of? Say again? Royalty. Royalty. Okay, yeah? Greatness. Greatness. Purple? Purple. <laughs> I'm with you, actually. Anybody else? Majesty. Kings? So majesty, again, it's not a word that we use a whole lot, not one that we work into our uh, everyday sentences and phraseology, but uh, I threw up a couple of pictures of what I think of when I think of majesty. Uh, so the first is purple, Purple Mountain's majesty, right? I think that was written about the Smoky Mountains, but for me, it's always going to be Pikes Peak. Look at that sunset. Purple Mountain's majesty. Uh, I also think about royalty, uh, the queen, and, uh, and so do you like our tech? Our tech totally fell apart this week, and so we're kind of punting this morning, as uh, I don't know if Mike talked about that earlier. Hopefully most of you can kind of see this, but uh, royalty, the queen, uh, is majesty. Also think of, of the stars, the moon in the sky, as majestic as you look up and, and uh, a harvest moon when you see it low on on the horizon is just ginormous and, and feels so much closer uh, than, than when it's up in the middle of the sky. I also think of, of galaxies and, oh, look, one more opportunity for Pikes Peak to pop up. Um, and uh, that's Colorado Springs and Milky Way. I think of the stars and just the majesty of, of the expanse of the universe. And then uh, coming back down to, to land, I think of, uh, of the king of the jungle. And uh, I came across that photo and just how majestic uh, a lion is. And, uh, and, and king of the jungle and king of, of the, the animals that, that roam on the earth. And then even more so, for me anyway, is this last one is, is eagles and seeing bald eagles. We were out on a sand dude ride uh, about a week and a half ago and eagle, two bald eagles flew right overhead and um, I just, I love eagles. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but my name means eagle. Aaron, that's the uh, A-H-R-E-N, the, the odd spelling. I usually just say my parents were hippies, uh, but the actual reason is it's German for eagle, and uh, eagles just have a special place in my heart, so the majesty of seeing an eagle flying overhead, and uh, it's not really something I'd experienced until I moved here to Oregon, and I, there's a lot of bald eagles in Colorado. They just never wanted to fly around me, and so uh, it wasn't until I moved here that I was able to have that as part of my experience. But uh, majesty is also sovereign power, authority, or dignity, a royal bearing or grandeur. Uh, the definition goes on the greatness or splendor of quality of character. And, and so these thoughts of what majesty is, is, is really all tied up in Daniel chapter 4 is what is majestic? What is majesty? It's at the core and the heart of this, connected to Psalm 8, which we're going to get to after a little bit. Uh, but this thought of majesty, 
Now, if you were uh, online with us on Zoom last week, you heard about Nebuchadnezzar who had a dream and he called uh, all of his astrologers and magicians in to interpret it and they could not. And then Daniel came in and he was able to interpret that dream. But we're going to read a little bit about that dream. So kind of to rehash last week's, uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter four, starting in verse four. And again, this is interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, as it flips right here in chapter 4, starts speaking in the first person. Things are told in the previous three chapters about Nebuchadnezzar, but here in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is speaking for himself. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they make, may make known to me the interpretation of that dream. Then we're going to skip forward a little bit to verse 10. It says, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. To the end of the whole earth, its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. It says, I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, which was an angel, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches." But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given over to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence by its decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the Spirit of Holy God is in you. Now, when he refers to the Spirit of the Holy God, he wasn't talking about our God. He was talking about his own gods. As you read in there, you'll see it's a lowercase g, and so Nebuchadnezzar thought that he had powers from his gods. That's why he wanted to call him in. His name, uh, Daniel's name, also Belteshazzar, actually points to uh, the Babylonian gods because they were trying to attribute him and bring him into their culture, and he asked for an interpretation. And, and Daniel has an interpretation for him, and he humbly comes forward and he says, uh, at first he says, may this interpretation be about somebody else because it's not good news. So he gently tells him, you are the tree. You are known by the ends of the earth and people, oh, this thing is just on the move today. Um, people have heard about you and seen you, but you will be cut down. And then he, he comes to him and admonishes him and he says, please, please humble yourself. You know, this thing is going to come to pass, but maybe if you're humble and you take care of the poor and the oppressed, your time as the ruling king will be extended. And so he admonishes and, and pleads with him, please Humble yourself. You're too proud. This cannot continue. 
And so that's kind of where we're brought up to, to this week. And, uh, and it starts here in verse uh, 28, because that next chunk is him interpreting the dream. But let's go to 28. All of this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of his 12 uh, months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Wow. I mean, are you hearing these words? He's standing atop, looking out over this thing that he has built. And it says, look at the greatness of my hand. How wonderful I am. How powerful I am. How it all points back to my majesty. My grandeur. My royalty. My prowess. Look at what I have done. And I can only imagine if there are slaves and workmen and craftsmen listening. Like, what are you talking about? You didn't build none of this. Like, we all built this for you, in case you weren't paying attention. And, and he was actually building on the shoulder of kings that had come long before him because Babylon wasn't built by one man or in a short amount of time. But the arrogance that comes from him right here in these words, and it continues, verse 30. Let's see here. And the king answered, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox." And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. He says, oh, you pushed too far. You just couldn't humble yourself, could you? And now as the words were still coming out of his mouth about how majestic his creation was, God speaks. Can you imagine that moment of Nebuchadnezzar's voice in contrast to God's voice from heaven? And in a moment, this is going to be stripped for, from you. Back in verse 17, if you'll remember, he said what the purpose was going to be. He says, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. This is all going to happen so that all mankind will know that who is the one with majesty? Only God. That men will know that God is sovereign, in control, actively participating in life even when it doesn't look like it or we don't recognize him. But he is at work in control of all things and he distributes power to whom he wants to. And he says that you are in control and in power and authority because I have put you there. For no other reason, it is not of your own doing. And again in verse 32, so that you may know that the Most High rules this kingdom. See, in Daniel... Uh, this, this theme of, of majesty is coming back again. One who thinks he is majestic and then the one who truly has majesty coming and putting him in his place. We see this throughout scripture. 
When Mary is singing a song, when she found out that, uh, that Elizabeth was pregnant, also she writes a song and she's singing. And it's called, uh, in, in the scriptures, the Magnificent, or you may have heard it as the Magnificat. And Mary goes on and she says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he exalts those of humble estate. For those that would put themselves on high, God can easily take down. And those, though, who have humbled themselves and come with a meek spirit, he is able to rise up. And that was Mary's stance. She understood it. That she, a humble one who didn't expect much out of life to do something like give birth to the Savior of mankind, was lifted up into a different position. And so this, this conflict between humility and arrogance is afoot in our world all over the place. And King Nebuchadnezzar was struggling with it. And God said, here, let me help you. And, and I think all of us, though, at times have that same struggle. And, and so this morning, one of our priorities uh, as we're continuing to shift, and we saw it on Zoom when we were meeting that way, and we're going to have more and more of that here, is hearing how God has been at work in different people's lives. And there's somebody who I know pretty well who had this struggle between humility and, and, and pride. And, uh, and he uh, isn't able to be here with us today. And so I asked him to put together a video uh, for me. It's my son, uh, Ben Cahoon. And so he's up at George Fox attending college. And so I asked him to do a video. He does this thing uh, called uh, Studio Time with Ben on his channel. And it's kind of a, a lot of fun to watch because uh, he... He's creating pottery and different things uh, on a wheel right there uh, on, on this platform. And so we're going to watch some TikToks today because that's how my son rolls. And so the reason, there's going to be three clips. And for, for those of you who are not on TikTok, like 90% of you, um, it can only be 90 or 60 seconds long. And so this clip is going to start and end. And he's actually going to use this as a series on his own channel here in the next couple of weeks. And so that's the reason it starts and stops. So here is Ben. Hi, everybody. Today I'm going to share with you about a piece that changed my entire artistic process. Oh my gosh, I'm still waking up. Alright, from the years 605 BC to 562 BC, there was a king reigning over the Neo-Babylonian Empire by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. So you might be asking yourself, Ben, what does a Neo-Babylonian king have to do with your artistic process? Um, and I have to say now everything because it's re-looked the way that I look at humility and pride in my work. And when I set out to do this piece, I wasn't intending to be working with um, any sort of Babylonian imagery or anything like that. I was just having a stressful day and I needed to draw. The next thing I remember is there was an image of a lion head with a sun rising behind his head. And at that point I wasn't thinking about Nebuchadnezzar at all, I was just drawing in my sketchbook. So I decided to do some digging. I knew there was something spiritual under this. I knew that it was going to be tied to my faith. Check out the next two videos to see how I got here. What we're talking about? Oh yeah! Pride ancient Babylonian kings and lions. At that point I wasn't thinking about
about Nebuchadnezzar at all. I was just drawing in my sketchbook. I was looking at the image of a lion used in the Bible, especially in symbolism, and I came across this passage in Daniel 7, 4, um, where Daniel was explaining some prophecies. And then I like wrote on the side of the page, like the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. And I knew that this was going to be like a combat of pride in myself and like in greater humanity. The verse spoke about a lion with the wings of an eagle, which was very strange because this is what I had drawn without doing any reading. Then it also went on to explain how the wings were torn off of him and the lion was given the mind of a man and made to stand on his own two feet. You're like me, you're like, what the heck does that mean? This was a prophecy about how King Nebuchadnezzar's power was going to be stripped from him and he was going to be humbled. Remember that wing torn off part. Alright, so now let's look at some of the process shots. Thanks for sticking it with us so far. Now for the fun part, some of the process shots. This piece was incredible to work on from the beginning. The face of the lion was based off of lions featured in the Ishtar Gate, a gate of the inner city commissioned by King Nebuchadnezzar during his reign in Babylon. As I began to work on the wings, I was reminded about the purpose of this piece, which was combating pride and accepting humility in myself. Much like the verse in Daniel 7, the wing, right before I loaded into the bisque fire, actually broke off. And instead of giving up this piece and trashing it, I decided to keep going and see what would happen as we continued firing, as we continued surrender in this process. We were able to repair the wing, much like King Nebuchadnezzar it was able to be restored to its original design. Um, this piece is a constant reminder for me to be able to identify pride in my work and choose humility instead. I don't know. Did it? Is that on now? Okay. Um, yeah, so... Um, that will be on Realm later today. If you had a little trouble hearing it again, our tech didn't totally want to cooperate, but you'll be able to watch those three pieces on Realm. If you're not on Realm, just write us a note and we'll hook you up. Uh, and, and so Ben's talking about just drawing, uh, God leading him to this drawing of a lion with a sun uh, coming behind him and, and raising up. And then he, later he was reading in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel actually has a vision of four different kings. And in one of them, there was a lion who had had wings and his wings were ripped off of him and away from him. And this is the story of what's happening to King Nebuchadnezzar right here in, in Daniel chapter 4. And so uh, this picture of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar and his pride bringing him to a place that he had to be humbled. And then we pick it up again right here in verse 33, which is on the next page. And he says this. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like the claws of a bird. And so this is what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. And it says uh, that he was taken out and, and he lost his mind. And it's interesting to note that right here in verse 28, it is no longer in the first person. Nebuchadnezzar is no longer speaking for himself, but it begins to be in the third person again, as though he was so out of his mind that he couldn't even recount this season in his life, and so somebody else had to write the account down. As you look at the language in there, it switches there in verse 28. 
Then for seven seasons. We don't know if that's seven years, if that was seven months or seven moons or seven passings of different seasons, but it was seven allotments of time that would pass until he was able to get to the place that God wanted him to be. I was thinking of the opposite of majestic. What is the opposite of majestic? I came across these words, disgraced, shameful, dishonored discredited, disesteemed, unworthy, disfavored, and dishonored. And that is the state of Nebuchadnezzar, a wild man out of his mind with the dew falling on him just like it does the beasts of the field. It says a couple of descriptors for him is that his hair looked like the feathers of a wet eagle. Got a picture here. His hair looked disheveled, not quite as majestic, as that other picture, it says that his claws, his nails grew so that they were like raptors' claws. See the size of an eagle's claws in comparison to a human hand. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar looked like. There's one more picture. It's by William Blake at the turn of the 19th century. And it's called Nebuchadnezzar's Madness by William Blake. And, and this picture of what Nebuchadnezzar looked like in his madness in his fall is painted for us. Then in verse 34, it says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar... Did you catch that? It's back in first person. At the end of these seven periods of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, his mind has returned to him. He's able to speak for himself. And so these next words are, are his own words. And he's able to share in this way. And, but I want us to remember his state just before this. You see, before his fall, King Nebuchadnezzar was only ever able to look down. He looked down from his balcony, from his rooftops, and he looked down on the people. And he looked down on his creation. He looked down on all that he had made because he was majestic. And yet, what do we hear from Mary in the song that she wrote? That God is able to humble people. <laughs> humble them. Uh, in their time of need. And so that's what we see here in verse 34. And I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes. He is in as lowly of a state as you can get. And he says, I lifted my eyes to heaven. I didn't lose my spot. Give me a second. I can't click my camera off. That is handy. <laughs> when I could just turn my camera off. Uh, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him who lives forever. Oh, I don't know why that gets me. But his understanding of who he was, his, his true stance in comparison to a great God, is what we see here. And so he, he says these things. And it's only as he's on the ground, watered by the dew, grazing with the oxen, you know, with hair like a wet eagle, claws that look like a raptor's claws, that he was able to look up and see God for who he really was and who he really is. And so he is able to, to understand that it's only God who can stand on high and look down at his wonderful creation. Not Nebuchadnezzar's place, not our place, 
but his to look down. And he goes on, and these are his own words again. For his dominion is everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does uh, according to his own will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth so that nobody can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar in the first person, his mind returned to him, acknowledges who God is. His dominion, he says, his dominion is everlasting dominion. And he understood that my dominion is only ever temporal. I've seen this in other visions. Daniel has already interpreted this, that my kingdom would come to an end, but his is everlasting. His kingdom is not only eternal, it's from generation to generation, but it's above all the earth. Nebuchadnezzar understanding that he ever only reigned over Babylon, which was the most powerful nation on the planet, and yet it's nothing in comparison to the grandeur of God's power as he has authority over the heavens and the earth, and that he is out without equal. Nebuchadnezzar didn't like people questioning him, and yet he would put himself as an equal with God, and he says, nobody is equal to God. Nobody can stay his hand. Nobody can stop God from acting if he wants to act, and nobody can say to him, what are you doing? Although, don't we try sometimes? And Nebuchadnezzar finally has proper perspective. And the way I understand these verses is that is why Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most evil men in Scripture and who is painted as a bad guy over and over because of his pride, is actually one of the authors of Scripture because he saw in this moment, maybe it moved from what Mike had talked about, uh, away from uh, uh, conviction uh, to uh, what? Conversion, thank you. Good, I'm glad Mike's right here for me. Uh, and that maybe he actually had this conversion and this proper understanding of who God was and this struggle that we all have between our own pride and our own humility. And we have to wrestle with this. And we all have it. And maybe we look at Nebuchadnezzar and we go, yeah, I'm glad I don't got pride like that guy. Guess what? You just wrapped yourself up in that same circle. And that's what Ben was saying in his artwork, that, that he knew from the get-go when he had drawn this out that he understood this was going to be a battle of his own pride. But he didn't totally understand how. And then he shares in more in depth about how as he created it and he saw some of the steps along the way that he was proud of this piece of art. And he looked at it and he was like, dang, that's good, you know? And yet, in that moment, the eagle's wing broke off of it, and how humbling that was for him, and not sure how that could be redeemed or come back together, and he would only see it in retrospect when the story was done and complete, that just as he was able to restore Nebuchadnezzar, that God is able to control us. So it didn't end uh, with a broken wing, it actually ends with this piece right here, the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and God is able to restore, and God is able to come through for us. And, and so we, we have to struggle with our own battles. 
You know, pride is self-righteousness. Pride is, is, is in right thinking. Sometimes we get so caught up in how we think about the world correctly. And I got to tell you, we need to be listening. Because if you think that you're so right that we can't listen to other voices, now more than ever, we need to be open to understanding other people and where they're coming from and their stories because our story is our experience, but we need to have not pride in right thinking, but an openness to hearing what other people are walking through. Sometimes we have pride in right action or right living, that we have our stuff together unlike those people. You know, those people, they deserve it. They kind of put themselves in that circumstance, you know? And, and so we have pride, and you may even be right. I'm not saying, man, we need new microphones and new TVs. <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. That's uh, all our tech has, the Ronies. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so we need to wrestle with our own thinking of right living, and then pride is right believing. You know what? Sometimes we can have arrogant pride even in our own faith. Now, I'm confident that our faith in living God is correct and true and that Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross. I have no doubt in my mind that that is the truth. But sometimes our pride can be more so in our faith than in the object of our faith. We become prideful in the belief itself instead of confident in the one that we have belief in. Theodoret, bishop of Sirius in ancient Syria, uh, restated Nebuchadnezzar's words like this. He said this, Having had experience of misfortune and then being rid of it, I sing the praises of the one who my advantage brought on me, one condition and then the other in his great wisdom. I know that he is the king of heaven and lord of all, acting in truth, governing everything justly and capable of humbling those behaving haughtily. And so he had this perspective of what Nebuchadnezzar was thinking, and it's written throughout Scripture. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and rise up, raise up in worship, and I extol or glorify and exalt and elevate and honor the King of all of heaven. Normally, we take communion at this time, but as Mike mentioned, we're doing something. Uh, we're encouraging our community groups to be taking communion together. It's actually much more like it was in, in scriptural times anyways, as we're sharing in people's homes and, and having this communion time together. Uh, but if you want, if you want uh, to take communion here, or maybe you don't have elements, uh, right out at the coffee bar, you could exit this way and grab a couple of them. You could take them home to take as a family. If you wanted to go downstairs uh, into one of the rooms we have set aside and have a moment with God, even this morning here Sunday uh, at, at the building, then that is open to you also. We also want to open up prayer. And we want to be praying for you and what's going on in your lives. And so there's a prayer table out there. A prayer wall is wiped clean because they were four or five months old. And so they're fresh. We're ready to be praying for you. And so stop by. Write your prayer on a piece of paper. And, and you can stick it on the board that's, uh, again, right outside in the lobby here against the wall. We want to be praying for you in this time and in this season. And we want to be praying for one another. And so don't be afraid to, to make a mental note or, or jot down some of the other prayers that you see on the wall because there's power in us praying for one another. But I, I said we get to Psalm 8, which is really connected here to Daniel chapter 4, and I want to close with these words from Psalm 8. If I can, usually I have both hands here. Da, da, da. It says this, 
Uh, try not to clap as you hear the words. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All right, yeah. I told you not to, and then I couldn't resist. Yeah. Okay. Some of you are like, what is going on? Okay, it's like an old 80s Maranatha song. It's kind of fun, especially if you do the clap behind your back thing. Uh, look it up. Psalm 8 song you'll find on YouTube, I'm sure. Um, you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, the sheep and the oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your majesty. God, for your power, for your might, God, I thank you that there is no equal to you. God, and we humbly come before you this morning, thankful to be in each other's presence, but mostly thankful to be in your presence. God, I thank you that you have walked with us through this whole thing, and you will continue to. God, allow us to deal with the pride in our own hearts. God, that we can lower ourselves and, uh, and not force your hand to do it for us. God, I just pray that we would be in a humble position that you would choose to use us to share your love with others. God, that you can turn any circumstance into one that brings you glory, and I thank you for that, God. And we live in weird days. Help us just to point to you with our hearts, God, with our words, with the peace that we have. God, that we can pass that on to others with words of encouragement. God, knowing that you are sovereign. God, that the Most High is in control of all things, and this is where we have our assurance and our security, and we just thank you for that. God, help us to walk in a way this week that would point others to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 